Uh, Let's take the Word of God together again and go to the 20th chapter of John. John chapter number 20, and we'll be looking today at verses 11 through 18. John chapter number 20, verses 11 through 18. And as we often do during this uh, worship service when we go to the exposition of our text, I I like to just look at one verse and then we'll begin to expound around that. I'd like to draw your attention to John chapter 20, verse number 16. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. You'll notice that one word, Rabbani. This is a word that is a word that is often glossed over. It's not often a form of a study to where man spends a lot of time dealing with this particular word. But this is a very important word, especially when we consider who is speaking the word. Uh, The woman speaking this word is none other than Mary. This is the same Mary who, when she came to the tomb that resurrection morning, Uh, did not find the Lord in that tomb. As a matter of fact, she, in a bit of a panic, goes back and begins to say that uh, they've taken the Lord. I don't know where they have taken Him to. I do not know where He is. But this word, Rabbani, and we'll see the context around this, is a, a response of recognition. It's a response now that Mary knows that she is speaking to Jesus himself. Now you might say, what's the significance of that? The significance of that is, is that up until this point, and we'll see in this narrative, the first time she sees Jesus, she does not recognize him. And the text will tell us that. But when she speaks the word Rabbani, she is speaking as one who knows the voice of of her Savior. We know John 10 verse 4 tells us the sheep follow Him for they know His voice. Mary, in fact, is responding to the call of the shepherd. She's responding to the call of the good shepherd. And notice what's interesting in that verse. Jesus only says one word to her. He says her name. Mary. That's all it took to transform this woman who was weeping because they did not know where the Lord had gone into now a response of worship. It shows us the power of God's Word. Jesus Himself says nothing more than Mary, and she responds with now belief that she is standing before her resurrected Lord. She exclaimed the word, Rabbani. It's a Hebrew term. That Hebrew term signifies my master. This acknowledgement, you are my master. In a way, it's her, we'll see, and I'm going to use this term and I'm going to try to, try to elaborate on this. It's, it's a word that she responds as a reward for her devotion, her faithfulness. Her perseverance, because we're going to understand that Mary actually left the tomb, you'll recall, back in the first 10 verses, and she went and told the disciples. But what we see happen is some point in time, Mary came back to that same tomb. The tomb that she had just been, that she said, my Savior, where have they laid his body? She comes back to the same tomb with an expectation that she's going to find him. 
Her sorrow now, by the expression of the word Rabbani, her sorrow has now been turned into joy. Now, what had just a few moments earlier, she's begging and trying to find the body. Now she realizes, here he is. As soon as Jesus Christ addressed her by her name, look what the Bible says, she turned herself. Now that's interesting because we're going to see this previously in a couple verses before the same phrase is used, except it said she turned herself back in verse 14. So the first time Jesus, she sees him, she turns herself back. The next time when he says her name, she turns herself and she turns towards him. This phrase, this word, Rabbani, it is a a word that demonstrates not only belief, but it's also a word that demonstrates a desire to obey and to follow. Rabbani, my master or my teacher, it's a word that we don't see throughout Scripture, but here it is. But it's something more than just master. In this picture, we see Mary going from a place of weeping to now a place of rejoicing. And it's interesting that in this narrative, in verses 11 through 13, we're introduced to two angels who are made witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Two angels, verses 11 through 13, are made witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Look again, here's Mary's return back to the tomb. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Now remember, the first time she went, he wasn't there. But now she comes back, she looks into the tomb, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. So what we have happening here, Mary returns to the sepulcher. Peter and John, you'll recall, they had already gone away back to their own home, verse 10 tells us. She returns, again, not thinking or realizing that the Lord had risen, but thinking that the body had been removed by someone. So she comes back to the sepulcher, she stoops down, she looks into the tomb, and she sees these two angels there. The Bible describes them once in at the head and once in at the foot of the place where the body had been laid. Now, I want you to hold your place here and go, go to Luke 24. And again, as we often do, I like to go through the, the, the comparative Gospels here and see the various perspectives that are being given here. Luke 24, verses 3 through 6. And you'll notice here, there's a reference here. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus... And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third day, and on the third day rise again." And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales 
and they believed them not. All right, so we have, this, we have this perspective here. So you see Mary as she comes back. The other disciples had gone back home. But Mary, as she's standing outside the sepulcher, oftentimes we, we think about this and, and we see Mary seeing these two angels. Now this, this is going to be pure speculation. I'm just going to say this. The angels appeared between the time when the other disciples had gone and gone back home, maybe in their own disbelief. But Mary comes back and the angels are there. So speculation might be, maybe had Peter and John waited a little bit longer, maybe those angels would have appeared then. Again, that's total speculation. But the reality here is, is Mary the one that goes back? The angels speak to her. Now I want you to notice that uh, the, the Bible tells us here that the angels, they ask her a question. And the question is relevant for the moment. Woman, verse 13, John 20, why weepest thou? Now, Mary could have responded and said, the reason I'm crying is because they've taken the body of my Lord. And that's exactly what she says. She saith unto them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. So the response to the angel's question is, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? And you see that Mary's expressing really a bit of unbelief because they've been told and there should have been a resurrection, yet she is now in the throes of unbelief. Folks, it is possible that even though we are believers, even though we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have bouts and fits of unbelief where we just don't think Everything is the way it was supposed to be. Now, I know we're believers and we claim Christ and we say we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but all of us are subject to times of disbelief. Sometimes sorrow makes us lose the proper way. Sometimes our, 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 our going through a trouble or a trial leads us to, to just for a moment fall into unbelief. But the angel, you see, as he asks her the question, he asks her that question knowing that what she should be doing is rejoicing. That's why he asks the question, why are you weeping? This is not a cause for crying. This is a cause for rejoicing. So in the very thing that should have been a cause of rejoicing, unbelief leads us to be sorrowful. Did you get that? What should be a cause of rejoicing leads us to find ourselves sorrowful. That's what unbelief does. Remember, Jesus told his own disciples that he would turn their sorrow into joy. That was his exact words. He didn't say it's going to be something different. He said, your sorrow is going to be turned to joy. Why? Because I am going to raise again. I'm going to rise again the third day. That's a cause of rejoicing. Jesus had done exactly what he had been telling his disciples he was going to do. What causes us to fall into these fits of unbelief? One of those things is that we fail to remember the Lord's promises. When we find ourselves in a place of unbelief, although temporary, it's because we have forgotten the promises. What promise did Mary forget? She forgot the Lord's promise to rise. Here's what else is interesting. She's standing in the presence of angels. Divine beings. She is 
forgets the promises of God, plus she's standing in the presence of angels. Isn't it interesting that Mary never says, why are angels talking to me? Now I guarantee you, (laughs) that's what our thought is. If an angel's talking to me, first of all, I'm not going to wonder why they ask you why I'm crying. I'm going to ask them the question, why are you here? I mean, when's the last time you had a couple angels talking to you? But here it is. And she doesn't ask the question. Why? Because she's in, she's in a time of unbelief. She's forgotten to remember his words. She's ignored the presence of these angels. And she never asked them, why are you here? She continues to weep and she simply says, they've taken away the body of the Lord and I don't know where they've taken him. So what does Mary's desire here? She wants to know where the Lord's body is so she can go get it and bring it back. Now the angels, they can't understand why she's crying. Because the angels are saying, why are you crying? Because the Lord has risen from the dead. So Mary, why are you weeping? Now again, let's not speculate too deeply here, but the angels again are not asking her about that. Their, Their question is, why are you crying? This should be a glorious day. This should be a day of joy, not a day... Of sorrow. But that phrase, why weepest thou? This word, that phrase makes us makes us ask the question. If his work, if his redeeming work has been done towards you, why would you weep at such a time as this? This is a time to rejoice, not a time to be sorrowful. This is a time to rejoice because you, and he's going to refer to her as woman. Why are you weeping? Now, again, what do the angels know? (laughs) Do the the angels know that this is is one of his? I don't know, that's speculation. But again, they're asking the question, this should be a day of rejoicing. And yet you are not demonstrating rejoicing. You are demonstrating sorrow. So these two angels are made witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Secondly, in verses 14 through 16, I want you to see that Christ gives witness of his resurrection by his own presence. Christ gives witness of his resurrection by his own presence. Look what happens in the narrative. And when, verse 14, and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. So let's just put this together. As soon as she had said, because they have taken away my Lord, I know not where they have laid him, verse 13. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing. But notice what it says about this. And knew not that it was Jesus. Here Mary is standing in the presence of the resurrected Christ and the Bible says she did not know him. Now, there are people today who make this false assumption, who say, if I could just see him, and I would believe, Mary is looking into the face of Jesus, and she doesn't even know it. Now, that's interesting to me. It's interesting because we have that, that puts, to, that puts to, uh, to bed all those who say, I would believe if I could just see him. 
There are people that have made that argument saying, listen, had I seen the resurrected Savior like those 500 some witnesses, I would have immediately believed. Here's the reality of that. Just seeing him would not have led you to belief. What led her to belief was when Jesus said the name Mary. Then she believed. Who opened her eyes? The Lord opened her eyes. It wasn't by her own seeing. It was Jesus Christ himself gave witness of his own resurrection by his presence with her. So she turned around. She sees the Lord standing there. She's still weeping. People have, commentators have said maybe, and I love how man tries to rationalize this. They've said things like, well, maybe the light was wrong. Uh, Maybe her eyes were swollen and the tears, she couldn't see through the tears. Maybe he didn't look like she expected him to look. The reality is, is that she couldn't believe because Jesus had not yet opened her eyes to see the truth of the resurrection. See, we're always trying to find man's way of saying, well, here's why I can't see him. Man uses excuses like, I can't see the Lord because I didn't grow up in church, or I didn't see the Lord because I'm not this person, or I'm not this type of person. Listen, we don't see the eyes of the we don't see the Lord with our own eyes of faith until He opens our eyes, and He opens our eyes by speaking our name. You know what's what's what is absolutely uh, thrilling to me is to know that every one of us that are in Christ, He called you by name. He didn't just make a general call and say, anybody who can hear me, he called you by your name. And at that moment, your eyes were open to see and your ears were allowed to hear. You were given the ability to believe. There's no other explanation for this because she doesn't believe, doesn't even know it's Jesus until he says her name. So we see this, this, this interaction. And folks, I think we need to really keep in mind that it is possible in our lives, and I already said this, it's possible for unbelief to take hold of us for a season. If you've been saved a long time, you have had seasons of unbelief. You've had moments, now not unbelief that Jesus isn't real, but unbelief where you forget his promises. To where you're sorrowful when you should be rejoicing. You should be rejoicing that Jesus Christ is your Savior, but yet we, again, trials come, temptations come, uh, our own sin gets in the way. And we begin to fall into a season of unbelief. Just like I say, let's not be too hard on Peter. Don't be too hard on Mary either for her season of unbelief. But now notice... The angels had asked Jesus the question, woman, why weepest thou? Look what Jesus asked her in verse 15. Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Jesus asked the exact same question that the angels asked. He doesn't rephrase it. He doesn't say, let me put this a different way. Word for word, Jesus says exactly, asks exactly the same question, that the angels did. Now we're told a little bit more about this. Whom seekest thou? And then notice what it says. She, Mary, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Now Jesus adds the phrase, 
whom seekest thou? The angels just asked the question, woman, why weepest thou? So Jesus does add that extra question about who seekest thou? Mary supposes that he's the gardener. Now, I'm not trying to be irreverent, but it's a bit humorous what she then says. She tells the supposed gardener, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, in other words, you've taken him somewhere, tell me where he is and I'll take him away. In other words, she says, wherever you've taken him, I'll go pick him up and I'll take him somewhere else. So here's Mary saying, just go tell me where the body is and I'll carry him away. I, we don't know where, he's, where she's going to take it. We don't know what she, her intents are. But it's a little bit humorous in the fact, here's this woman who's weeping, who says, just point me to Jesus' body and I'll carry him away. All at the same time, she supposes that this is just the gardener. Again, Jesus has now spoken. She has seen him. All right. She has seen him and he has spoken to her. But even when Jesus asked the question, she doesn't believe. It's not until Jesus uses her name, Mary. She no longer responds with, where's the body? She responds with the word, Rabbi, Master, Teacher. What a strange request. We could ask ourselves the question, could she have carried away the body of Jesus? Maybe. But what a thought. What an awful thought to think that Jesus is still dead and that I'm going to carry his body away. But then we see it happen. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself. Now, I, I drew an arrow between that phrase, she turned herself back to verse 15, the phrase, supposing him to be the gardener. She turns to the exact same person who asked the question just moments before, who just, just seconds before believed Jesus to be the gardener. Now she turns herself to the very same person who she thought was the gardener and says, Rabbani. She now just, according to human reasoning, just called the gardener master. She just acknowledged the supposed gardener as her Lord. But something happened between <laughs> something happened between verses 15 and 16. You know, one of the things I love about Scripture is there are things in between verses that happen that they don't actually say, here's what happened. Like, you don't have a Bible that says, now between verses 15 and 16, Jesus put some, something on her and made her now. No, it just says at the moment he said Mary, she believed. That's evidence that God himself makes people willing to believe. What a glorious truth this is. Now notice the Bible says, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. A simple utterance of faith. Rabbi. Now, we need to understand that Rabbi was a word that was used with reference to others. But the way Mary expresses it meant much more than just a teacher. There were rabbis. There were those of the Jewish religious leaders who they were referred to as rabbis, teachers, masters. 
But her words were not a reference to just any other master. She had heard the master's voice. Not just about theology, but about her own soul, about her own redemption. A simple utterance of her name is all it took. When you hear the Lord speak your name, there's no question of who spoke it to you. In other words, when the Lord opened your eyes to believe, there was not, who is that voice? What is that voice? Who is speaking to me? It is the reality that Jesus himself is speaking to me. My master, I know your voice. You've called me by name. I recognize your voice. I now recognize you for who you are. I want to listen. When you call someone rabbi, you were telling them you are the instructor. This shows us that Mary's belief was not just, hey, a one-time belief. This was not only do I recognize you, I acknowledge you as my Lord and my master. That's why the gospel gets preached out there that says, listen, all you have to do is just come to Christ and then do whatever you want. No, He should be the Lord of your life. It shouldn't just be, hey, I prayed, so I, now He is my Savior. Yes, He is your Savior, but He's also the Lord of your life. She was wanting to obey. So we see here that not only had these two angels who were made witnesses of His resurrection, but Christ Himself gave witness of His own resurrection by His presence before Mary. Now Mary's response and her continued response is really where we'll spend the rest of our time. Notice verses 17 and 18. Jesus is going to instruct her. And I'm going to give you the heading first. Christ is not to be sought according to the flesh, but by faith. Christ is not to be sought according to the flesh, but by faith. She does something very interesting. Verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, touch me not. Now, what's interesting is in this account that John writes, we're not told that she reaches out. We're not told that she has hold of him in any way. Although some commentators believe that the moment that she said Rabbani, the moment she said Master, and she recognized him, that she fell at his feet in worship. And that often what they would do is to worship, they would, have grab, they would grab onto the feet. Now John's account doesn't tell us that. But Jesus tells her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Now there's a lot of things we could comment about this and there's a lot of things we could say. And these are just some, these are just some thoughts as you read it. Jesus is telling her, uh, don't try to hold on to me as I am now. Now, if you and I had experienced this, and we recognize Jesus, I think every one of us would have responded the same way. We would have tried to reach out and grab hold of him and try to keep him where he is now. But remember, he's still in the middle of fulfilling the full plan of God. The ascension after the resurrection, being seen of many witnesses, has to take place. But then notice, I am not yet ascended. To my father. 
but go to my brethren. So what we see happening here is that he's, 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 now is not the time. You will have opportunity, and she does later. You will have opportunity to see me, to hear me, and to touch me before my ascension, but not right now. He gives her very specific instructions. He says, at this time, I want you to go and tell my disciples everything that you've seen. And he gives her a very specific message. What is the message? He says, go to my brethren and say unto them his exact words. I ascend unto my Father and your Father. Tell this to my disciples and to my God and your God. He gives her the message. This is what I want you to tell them. Because of his mercy, because of his grace, notice the use of the words, your God, my God. Your Father, my Father. All of these things, he is mine, I am his. It is our identifier. Folks, this is an important doctrine, right? This is very, very important. He is identifying because, Mary, of your identification and because of the disciples' identification with me, my heavenly Father is your Father and is their Father. I am reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is a master teacher, as Rabbi is teaching a masterful doctrine, doctrinal course here on theology. Because what he's teaching her is that what you tell the disciples is because of their identification with me, my, my father is their father and your father. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 with regard to this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. And we see this. And this is Paul in the midst of writing about the a new creature in Christ, he says, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That little phrase there, God was in Christ. In Christ to be in God. Why? Because God was in Christ. He says it another way in Romans chapter 8. Same principle, same theology here. Romans 8.4 or 8.34 rather, I'm sorry. Romans 8 verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather What's that next phrase? That is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. Paul talks about it's Christ that died, but he doesn't stop there. That would not be enough. Your identification in Christ before the Father would not be enough without the resurrection. That completes our identification. Why? Because it says, He that's risen and again, there is now no more condemnation for those that are in Christ. That's the very first verse that Paul says in chapter 8 of Romans verse 1. There is therefore no, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So what Jesus was telling to Mary was in fact her identification 
because of Christ, because of His resurrection, because of His death, Jesus calls God His Father because He is naturally in the Godhead. But He says, your Father, because He is our Father by grace through Christ as the adoption of the sons of God. Jesus Christ, by His own free grace, has taken us to be His sons through His Father. So Mary would have rather had him held him. But he says to her instead, go and tell my disciples. You'll always find, I think this is true about everything with regard to the Lord and in our life, you'll always find it best to follow in obedience to whatever the Lord tells you to do. If he tells you to go, don't touch, then go. If he says, go and give this message, then go and give that exact message. Mary was told exactly what to say. And what a message now, Mary. The first time she went and told the disciples, it was while she was weeping and why she was saying, I don't know where the body of Jesus went. Now when she goes back, guess what she's going to proclaim to them? Jesus Christ is risen again. And how do I know that? Because I've seen him. Why have I seen him? Because he called my name. Did he call my name because I was better? No, he called my name out of his free grace and mercy. Now we understand that according to this, verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Wait a minute, Mary, you just came in the first time. You said, where is he? We went and looked and he's gone. Now she went and told them exactly what she saw and what she heard. If you look at, back at Mark 16, look at, look at verses 9 through 13. Again, we're reading these accounts as trying to put all these pieces together. Mark 16, verses 9 through 13. Now, this is, this is under the heading of Jesus' first appearance. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him and as they mourned and wept, and they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Mary comes and says, I'm saying exactly what the Lord said. I've seen him. And they still didn't believe. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believe they them. We talked about that last week. That's the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now, Matthew, in his gospel, Matthew 28, also gives an account of an appearance, and notice how he writes. Again, these are all a little bit different the way that they're, they're given. Matthew 28 in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified." He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Go see the place where the Lord lay. 
And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. And then we looked last week at Luke writing about the appearance of the two disciples as they were going to Emmaus. Mark also mentioned that appearance which we just read. So these appearances all were on the same day in which he arose. But the, the Apostle Paul, again I referenced this a couple weeks ago, the Apostle Paul also gives mention of his eyewitness. 1 Corinthians 15, familiar to us all, hopefully. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writing, Moreover, brethren, verse 1, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believed. The apostle Paul throughout 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to defend the resurrection. He goes on to explain the resurrection body. He goes on to explain why, because of the resurrection, we have victory over death. He goes on to explain that death no longer has its sting. And he says in the very end of that chapter, verse 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mary now had the report of victory. She had gone from unbelief, a season of unbelief, to now belief. Jesus had spoken her name. Now she delivers a much different message than her first one. Now she comes saying, not where they take the body. Now she says, the tomb is in fact empty. The stone was rolled away. Now she brings joyful tidings, not sorrowful, weeping tidings. Folks, one of the great reminders we need today is the very simple two words. He lives. He lives. And because he lives, I have that same great promise of victory. We don't, we don't sing the hymn, he's dead, he's dead. He lives. He lives. Mary's message was now, now he's still dead. Now her message is he's alive. Rabbinai. A simple, a seemingly simple word 
Yet we see that that was the effect of Mary's word to Mary. Immediately, Mary responds by giving honor to Christ, which is due unto him. The word rabbi is not just a word of respect, but it's a word that also acknowledges I am professing my obedience. Mary is declaring she is a disciple of Christ. She's submitting voluntarily and willfully as her master. Listen, this is a beautiful picture of what happens to human understanding when the Lord Jesus Christ speaks your name. She goes from thinking he's the gardener to now calling him Rabbani, which was formerly an unbelieving thought now becomes a thought of belief. Folks, the example of Mary ought to serve as a purpose, not that we're going to go and see an empty tomb, but it ought to serve as a reminder of a matter of exhortation and admonition that everything that Christ has done is true, He's real, and we owe Him our praise, our honor, and our obedience because He spoke our name. And our response should be the very same response. It should have been Rabbani. My Savior, my Lord, my Lord and my God, what will you have me to do? It's a beautiful picture. An understanding that we cannot seek Christ according to our flesh, but we can only seek Him by faith. I want to conclude our time this morning with our reading from the Valley of Vision. Again, we're still in chapter 5. This is page 248 entitled Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Father of Jesus, dawn returns, but without thy light, within no outward light can profit. Give me the saving lamp of thy spirit that I may see thee, the God of my salvation, the delight of my soul, rejoicing over me in love. I commend my heart to thy watchful care, for I know its treachery and power, Guard its every portal from the wily enemy. Give me quick discernment of his deadly arts. Help me to recognize his bold disguise as an angel of light and bid him be gone. May my words and works allure others to the highest walks of faith and love. May loiterers be quickened to greater diligence by my example. May worldlings be won to delight in acquaintance with thee. May the timid and irresolute be warned of coming doom by my zeal for Jesus. Cause me to be a mirror of thy grace, to show others the joy of thy service. May my lips be well-tuned cymbals sounding thy praise. Let a halo of heavenly mindedness sparkle around me, and a lamp of kindness sunbeam my path. Teach me the happy art of attending to things temporal with a mind intent on things eternal, Send me forth to have compassion on the ignorant and miserable. Help me to walk as Jesus walked, my only Savior and perfect model, his mind my inward guest, his meekness my covering garb. Let my happy place be amongst the poor in spirit, my delight the gentle ranks of the meek. Let me always esteem others better than myself and find in true humility an heirdom to two worlds. Let's stand together, we'll pray, and we'll be dismissed. Thank you for being here this morning.